Lord, thanks so much for uh, this time. It's, it's just a blessing to get to. I was reading something that a friend of ours sent, a few of us, um, just about North Korea and how you can get killed just for having a Bible. Uh, so people never typically keep a whole Bible in one place in case it gets stolen or taken and divvy it up hand it out, different pieces of it, memorize it. Lord, what a privilege it is to have your word that so many people have sacrificed their lives for and given so much. To learn the languages, to translate into our language for us, Lord. And thank you that it takes us to you, Jesus, by faith. And we just pray that you would fill us with faith tonight, that you would meet with us, Jesus, that we would see your beauty and that you would give us understanding and... um, Illuminous, Lord, not just in the mind, but in the heart, Lord, and every part of who we are, that we might know you more and uh, just be seized by your goodness and your compassion and your justice and, um, and uh, be transformed together from one degree of glory to the next. We thank you so much for Romans and for Romans 8 in particular tonight, and we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and, and uh, fill us, fill us all, and uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in Romans 8. We're going to be here for a few weeks. As I said last week, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached. He taught through this for 75 weeks on, a, on Friday nights. He had a 366 total messages in Romans. So it's, uh, it's widely regarded as maybe the greatest, the richest chapter in the Bible, which is saying a lot because the Bible has a lot of rich chapters. So I try to get through this. <laughs> first 17 verses last week and it did not even come close to happening as y'all know if you were here we got through the first three and and so anyway we're, we i'm fairly positive we're going to get through 17 tonight and i was able just to today to work on the next section which was nice that's it just i feel like this chapter just gets better and better so it's going to be it's going to be rich a rich meal um so we're gonna start in verse four I will go ahead and just read the whole thing, verses 1 through 17 again, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. So Romans 8, starting in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. Amen. Yeah, amen. We spent most of our, we spent a lot of our time on that, and I'll just recap that very briefly um, when we jump in tonight to verses 4 through 17. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. I mean, he's, Paul's been mounting toward that statement his whole, the whole book, right? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. We really spent a lot of time on that. I read that. That's that big block quote that you still have on your notes from James Dunn. Jimmy Dunn um, is, is to that point, and I'll briefly touch on that, and then we'll move, move forward into verse 4 and following. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, which Jordan kind of commented on last time, and sort of in a gracious way said, hey, I thought we were going to talk more about um, this. And I said, okay, we're still in verse 3, Jordan. So, <laughs> uh, Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the... And this is really where Paul's heading, okay? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You can see it, Paul's setting up a duality here. You're either in the flesh or in the Spirit. Those are the two categories for humanity. There's no third category. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. It's talking to the church, but in the spirit. In fact, if in fact, excuse me, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He's very clear about what makes a, cre- uh, a Christian, what makes a new cre- creation. We'll talk about that. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Amen. So, let's see. We did spend a fair amount of time just with that first verse. From after I read it just now, we got an amen, um, which we should have. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just wonderful um, fact that there is no condemnation left for you if you're in Christ. Uh, it's been, Christ has exhausted it. He's completely exhausted it. There's no condemnation left. Um, and then we spent, like I said, a good amount of time on verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And James Dunn really helped us see, I think in unpacking this verse that Jesus Christ uh, didn't come to put lipstick on a pig. He didn't come to redeem the flesh. He came to kill the flesh. And so his crucifixion on the cross was a condemnation and a bearing and a crucifixion and a killing of the old order. So it wasn't just a man dying on the cross. It was a, a destruction of the old order. And when he rose from the dead, he was bringing to life and bringing up into uh, creation a new, a new order. It, it was indeed a new creation. Although Christ himself was not created, he was bringing about a new humanity in his resurrection from the dead and leaving the old humanity in the grave. And so and we're not going to go through Jimmy Dunn's whole quote, but just a few bits that I, uh, that I italicized there. The logic of Paul's thought here is that sinful flesh could not be healed or redeemed, only destroyed. And so Christ was condemned by, um, by, by standing in our stead, by living in our stead, by dying in our stead. And then he says, Jim, Jim Dunn says, Forgiveness dealt only with sinful acts, not with the sin itself. The cancer of sin had taken such a firm root on the flesh, on humankind, that the surgery had to be radical. The flesh had to be destroyed. Humankind had to die. And so Christ did that in our place. Right? So we're not, we're not just in our flesh. When we're born the first time, we're born dead on arrival. As Paul makes clear here and as he makes clear elsewhere, we, uh, we're not just people who sin. We are, we are sinners. We uh, it's in our being. It, it weaves itself into the core of who we are. It's like ink and water. You can't, it has to, there's only one thing for it, it has to be killed. And so Christ in our place was killed and uh, he rose to a life that's free from the power of sin and death. And, he, and when we trust in him, we too are crucified. And Paul's going to get into that now uh, more. And we are, um, our old man is crucified and we, 
we receive his spirit and receive a new life that will never, never end. It will never end. No matter how we feel, if we are in Christ, he is taking us all the way to himself. We will be glorified. He will finish the work he started. There's no, there's no condemnation left. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah. um, what a hope. So, so what Paul's going to do here, and this is what, what Jordan was chomping at the bit for, really, and rightly so, because partly because he spent time memorizing the chapter or part of it and gone, okay, I know what this is about, uh, is that really um, we've looked at, I think I titled the first, the whole first lesson last week, which is really just the first point, verses one through three. There's that, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wonderful truth. But really what Paul gets into in this chapter is, okay, Christ came to, on the, on the cross, he condemned the old order, but really he came not just to crucify our old man, but really that's a stepping stone to life. So, so Paul now begins to talk about, well, okay, so he's crucified the old man, he's brought us into his new life, how do we then live? In light of what Christ has done for us, in light of our new life, in light of who we are in him, how do we live? And, so, and it's 100% to do with trust in Christ, faith in Christ, but Christ in us by, the, by his very spirit, um, living in us and putting to death the deeds of the flesh and producing fruit in us. So, so this second point, this whole, this whole time tonight was going to be the life of the flesh, and I put life in, in quotes, the life of the flesh versus the life of the spirit. It's that duality. Um, so in verse 4 here, we're just going to start in verse 4. And, and like I said, Jordan commented on this last time, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Um, Paul transitions here from Christ condemning and bearing the old man uh, and, or, and the old man in order to new life. So the caterpillar has crawled into the chrysalis and out comes the butterfly, right? So that's what we're, that's what we're looking at tonight is the butterfly. What we were made to be and what we cease to be, even though we retained God's image, it was shattered, fractured in every part, broken. Uh, um, dead in every part of who we are, opposed to God. But Christ has brought us back to what we were intended to be. So out comes the butterfly. James, James Dunn again in just a, in just a, a couple sentences, not a, not a long block quote. He says, Paul does not dwell on the death of Christ, but goes on to spell out its object. God's purpose did not end in Christ's death. Thank God. He, that's me. I said, thank God. God's purpose did not end in Christ's death or even in their sharing in it. All that, was, all that was a means to an end. The primary end of a people, quote, who walk in newness of life. And he's quoting there from Romans 6, 4. Who, quote, now he's wrote, quoting from Romans 7, 4 through 6. Who serve in the new life of the Spirit. Who, according to this verse I just read, 8, 4. Who walk according to the Spirit. God's object was not condemnation, but righteousness. So the point of the cross is not just to kill the old man, but to let us live. And the cross indeed killed the old man, but now with the resurrection of Jesus, you know, it, the, the, because of the cross, the resurrection had to happen. Jesus, it's like, it's like you know, this is a bad illustration, but holding a, a huge beach ball down, it's just a matter of time before, you know, down under the water. It's just a matter of time before it's coming up, you know. Um, and, and Christ, because he defeated death, he had to rise. He, the God-man had to rise, and we with him. Um, so the point of the cross is not just to kill the old man, but to let us live. The atonement and propitiation, some of these words we've worked through, the wrath-bearing of God, the covering of our sin, the doing away of our sin. Um, the atonement and propitiation of us by Christ is necessary and wonderful. And sometimes Presbyterians just stay there. We just talk all day long about the cross, and, we, and, and, and it's wonderful. I mean, Paul said, I preach, the cro- I preach Christ and I'm crucified. Now, 
it's, it's sort of a synecdoche. You know, he, I think there's a way in which he meant, I don't ever deviate from that. That is, without that, we have nothing. And yet, we can't forget, the cross leads us to the resurrection. The, the, the killing of the old order leads to the new order, leads to life. So how, how should we then live? And Paul talks about that now. Um, but it is not enough, right? The, the propitiation, the atonement is not enough. It's incomplete. We must learn to live and walk by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. The transaction at the cross leads to life unending. Um, verse 5. So, I don't, Jordan, I don't know if you wanted to talk any more about um, that verse. In, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. There are a couple, at least a couple different ways you can understand that. And Jordan kind of teased out one of the ways. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What, what's, what is one of the ways that we could understand that verse? In anyone. I'm not trying to put Jordan on the spot, but in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What's Paul saying there? Maybe. What, what verse is verse 4, sorry. Eight, Romans 8, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What could, be, what could Paul be talking about there? Christ fills us with his life. Yes, that's true. And so, because of that, because he's, he, we are now alive in Christ, and he's... Yeah, and he's killed our the power the thraldom our thraldom to sin. He so one of the ways we can understand this verse is he's met it for us. That is definitely a way to understand this verse. What's another way that's a corollary to that? Because you can't have the second part unless you have the first. He has definitely met all the requirements of the law for us. He also died the, the yeah. life that we. I'm sorry. He, he died, which was a the converse of that, right? Under the law, like he paid the full penalty. Right. The yeah, the righteous requirement of the law was the death of the lawbreaker. Right. And Christ took our place. And, and I think what Rachel or mom said, or both of them, is just sort of the other side of that. And then from that, and this is another way that you could understand this verse, I think, is that we actually, and this is, I think, where Paul heads. One of the ways we understand a verse is, okay, what's around it? Where is it heading? What, is, what does the author can go on to say? And look what Paul goes on to say. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So we are able actually in our lives, because of what Christ has done, because he's now living in us, because he's paid the full price of our law breaking, he gives us a completely new disposition, a new heart, a new spirit, his very spirit. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. True? Well, I'm just thinking now, now that you said that, like <clears throat> part of, a big part of Paul's argument in the preceding chapters, right, was that the law is spiritual. Yes. And he came to realize that. Um, specifically when he thought about coveting. And so, you know, Paul, Pharisee, the Pharisees, they were punctilious keepers of the law. But the law goes to the heart, doesn't it? In certain senses. But the law is spiritual in nature. And so if we're walking according to the Spirit, we're actually able to, to the extent that we're, we're actually fulfilling the law in its truest... It's the law of the Spirit. ...spiritual sense. And in the, in, the, in, the deep, in the deepest sense, we're no longer opposed to law. Our disposition toward the law is now we're no longer at enmity with it. We're no longer at a standoff with it. We're no longer killing, saying this is letting their blood flow because it's the last of flow. That's right. And so we, we no longer have to keep the law. It's been kept for us. We get to and we, and we now, we're no longer threatened by it and we have a new spirit. Jesus was able to keep the law, wanted to, wanted to because he didn't have a sinful disposition. He was, at the, at the base, the law is I... I love your law, Lord. It's, it's, it's your word. It, gives us, it shows us your character. And because I'm simpatico with you, 
and this is Jesus talking, right? If I could, I want to, of course I want it. The more you trust your parents, the wiser you are and the better you are, the more, if they're good parents, the more you want to obey them, even when you maybe don't feel like it because you know that they have, they're wise and they have your best interest in mind. Jesus trusts his father. It was a trust issue. All, the whole, the, his whole, whole life, even when his will said something else, he trusted his father all the way to the cross. And so um, I think one of the things this, this is saying, I think, is because of what Christ has done, we're actually able now to keep from the heart to, to love God, to truly love God and to love other people because of what Christ has done and because he's now living in us. So if you're keeping the law only out of a sense of, uh, I need to keep the law so that I'm not punished, that would be walking according to the flesh. Almost. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and then and, and Paul says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Yeah. So if it were possible, it's right. a hypothetical, but if it were possible for someone to keep the law to the letter, but from like that... The Pharisees. And I think the, like the, yeah, Pharisees, the Pharisees, right? if but anybody could... That they mindset think. of I'm doing this in order to avoid the wrath of God. I'm, yeah, then, I'm ordered to not be punished and to, to earn something, to earn your favor. Or to earn something, right? Yeah. Then you would not be um, fulfilling the law. Right. And, and again, even just in the Ten Commandments, I mean, think about the first and the last one. The, first, the, the last one says, don't covet. I'm coveting right now. Who can tell? Yeah. No one, because it's a matter of the heart. Uh, the, first ones, the first four essentially say, love the Lord with everything you are. They're, they're, they, they go all, like Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount, they go all the way down to right. our intentions, our heart. You can't possibly keep them perfectly with our sin nature. It's not, it's not possible. Even if punctility on the surface, that's why Jesus, way, he, he did this in love by, by inveighing against the, the Pharisees and saying, because he was trying to show them that they needed to come to him and they couldn't, they couldn't measure up to God and with their own surface level law keeping. He would say, hey, you're, you're tithing your mint and dill. Literally the things that they would, the, the spices they would use uh, for cooking, they would take a tenth of them and tithe them. But, but they were com- super proud. Um, they thought they were better than lots of other people. They called other people rabble. They were, they were self-righteous. They were full of anger. They ended up crucifying God himself. That's how actually, they, that's how, and they weren't doing justice. That's how much on a fundamental level they were missing the law, but they were keeping it on this level. And that's what happens when we, when we set that up as our economy. But mom, what were you, you going to say? I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Because you know how you have a thought, and then it's like, how do I say this? But, um, if we're keeping the law out of our flesh, like you were talking about, like, like out, maybe, or even out of like fear, out of fear, or yeah. out of I want to look good, you know, or, or I, I can do this out of pride, posturing, pride, I, fear. I can do this. I'm a good person. Yeah. You know, yeah. I have the strength. That's that's out of. Um, that's not out of what. That is. That is not the power that Christ has given me to keep the law. Because if, if I've been unified with Christ, if he's living in me, then I want to keep the law out of a love relationship with Christ. Because I love him and I want to walk with him. I want to, to be one with him. Because I know he's perfect. I know he, he loves me. I know I'm with this hand on the center, but this hand... I'm perfectly loved. So I'm free to walk with him and, and want to keep the law. And it's personal. Because you know, I love him. When we yeah. trust yeah. in Jesus, we understand that salvation is a person. It's, it's, it's affected by, it's, 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 brought, it's achieved by a person, and it is indeed Christ himself. And so what he does is he saves us to bring us into 
relationship with him, with the triune God. And so we understand that the law, the word of God, is no longer a threat to us. Not only is it not a threat to us, it takes us by faith through what he's done to him. It's, it's the way of, it's, it's the language of our relationship. And so, of course, we want to, the one who saved us we want, and made us, we want to know him more and more and more. And so we go to the word, not to keep it because we're afraid, or cause, but rather to, to know him. But even when we're walking, when we're and then Jean, you're next. he lives in us, we can get off easily on, okay, if I just, you know, if I just uh, love others, if I just do this, if I, if I try to be unselfish and I try to serve, you know, then I, I, I'm doing, I'm, you know, I'm doing what Christ wants me to do. But that's really not the point. The point is a relationship with him. Well, and we should do, I hear what you're saying, but let me, to counter a little bit, we should do what Christ, we should be motivated by doing what we know Christ wants us but to do. we're doing it in our own strength, is what well, I'm saying. Well, okay, that's, and that's, that's yeah, point. and that's what Paul really gets into here is to be doing it filled with the Spirit and the power of his Spirit, right? And then we're going to talk about that. Yeah. The fake it until you make it till it gets, there, there's, a, there's a transition point, particularly when you're a new Christian or you're just, be, you're learning. Yeah. All of these things, and you want some, and you do love him. Yeah. But it's that you're so ingrained with the rest of the creation that turning to the Creator can be a process. Yeah, and and it, it takes habits and, and disciplines, yeah. and we're gonna and Paul talks about that some, and we're gonna talk about. I actually brought a book called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, and those, yeah, you can do them wrong, but they're also you can also do them right, and there's they're really need to be part of the, AB, the warp and woof of how we live as believers. And that, and like you're saying, fake it till you make it. C.S. Lewis talks helpfully about this, but a lot of times it's the obedience, especially in the face of, I think it's the obedience in the face of our feelings sometimes that means the most of the Lord. And oftentimes, obedient feelings follow obedience. We don't need to wait for the feelings. We need to obey because we trust him, because he's shown himself worthy of our, of our trust because he laid his life down for us, right? So I think, there's, yeah, there's a lot there, and we'll get into some more of that. They were, they were talking a little bit, I was reading this today and going through all the background stuff. Yeah. And they were talking too about, back to the Adam 1, Adam 2. Yeah. Uh, where being in the flesh is, is all of that, the original commandments were in response to that. And that is in the flesh. And that's why we had all the bloodletting and trying to get to quote bad blood out, I guess. Well, that, so, I mean, that was all, that was 100% a pointer to the one who would come and actually, right. to Jesus. Right. It was all pic- pictures that God himself gave us spirit because he to take us to him. Come. And he, those that look to him rather than to the creator, rather than to the creation, are the ones that are in the spirit. Yes, you yeah, that's you can't you certainly can't and again we'll get to that as Paul as Paul takes us there, but you certainly can't be in the spirit unless you've unless you've looked to Christ and trusted in in his life and death for you and resurrection for you. That's right. Um Okay, so can we keep can we keep moving? Good comments, good comments all. Um let's keep moving. So verse five is actually Tim Keller's favorite verse in the in the Bible. Uh, um it, in what? Let's see. Yeah, I think it's his favorite verse. He said it's his favorite verse in this chapter. And I just wrote here, it's his favorite verse in what may be the greatest chapter in the Bible. Um, let me just read a bit. That, that kind of took me, I'm going to be honest, that kind of, sh- yeah, you know, in my study, I, 
I almost just glossed over this verse, to be honest with you, a few weeks ago when I, when I wrote this lesson. So that really took me aback when I saw that. And it, and it made me, I trust, there are certain people in your, in your life that you, you trust them enough, not only trust them enough, but know that they're wiser and better than you are further along in the sanctification journey that you just go, okay, well, if you think that, or if you see that, then I'm pretty sure I missed something. And that's certainly the way I feel whenever Keller says anything that I miss, but with this, I thought, okay, there's got to be stuff here that I'm missing. Let me just read, uh, read what Paul says, what, what, huh, Freudian slip, what Keller says here. He says, for me, perhaps the most wonderful part of the book of Romans is 8.5, where Paul summarizes how you change from inside out, how you change deeply. And that's really what he's talking about for the rest of our time tonight, friends. Um, he says, uh, he's quoting Paul, those who live in accordance with the Spirit, he says, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And he's reading from the, I think Keller's taken from the NIV. Is that right, um, Andrew? Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The ESV says, um, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Um, to grow in Christ, Keller says, and to be changed into people like Christ, we need to set our minds on spiritual things, on things above and Paul says this elsewhere, doesn't he? We need to learn how to meditate and think about the gospel. This is what, the, the, now Keller's beginning to interpret this for us. We need to learn how to meditate and think about the gospel until it becomes real to our hearts and the foundation of everything we do. So, uh, and I could, and I've heard him say this kind of thing, until it warms, until it begins to warm our hearts, right? We meditate on it. Um, he says, I, I've always believed that at the heart of Romans 8, you have the secret to really using the gospel in your heart to change yourself in a profound way, and that the rest of Romans will show you what that change will look like in a practical way. And he really starts in on that bit in chapter 12, okay? Um, Paul does, I mean, in, chapter, in Romans chapter 12. So uh, let's dig into this a little bit um, before moving on to the, to the verses that follow. To think deeply on the gospel will change us. I certainly don't take umbrage with that. I mean, I, that's, I don't... I don't disagree with anything Keller says, but it, it did surprise me. Um, and he interprets, begins to interpret 8.5 as, in part at least, to think deeply on the gospel, and that changes us. Um, as you read 8.5, as you think about thinking deeply on the gospel and having that sink down from, from head to heart and begin to warm our hearts and change us and shape our affections, um, any, anything there? And I've got a little illustration that I want to talk to you all about. Any, anything there that grabs you in that verse? Well, and that's not the things of the flesh. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's okay, talking about the sinful carnal. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. No, that's good. Yeah, that's not the things of the flesh. That's, he's not talking about flesh like this. Because this, this is good. This is good because we, why do we, know, why do we know this is good? Two reasons. Let's just reduce it to two reasons. God made it. God made it. Genesis 1 reason. And we're going to have glorified bodies. Yes. Right? And we're going to have glorified bodies. And even before that, let's back up. Jesus took this on, John 1, 14. He became skin and bones, to use a sort of Taylor translation, right? That's really what, that's the, that's the force and impact of the scandalous way that John phrases that in John 1, 14. He says, and, and, and the word became flesh. The word is sarks. It's like the most, it's like the most, um, 
stark um, word he could have used. He could have used other words, but it's, he, came, he came flesh. He made us, so we know it's good. And he made us, and he said it's good. And then, and then he took on flesh himself. And, and so it's, he's, Paul's not talking about this. He's talking about the world order. He's talking about our sin, our sin nature. Um, so yeah, going to yeah, going to the store and eating, not not bad. I think uh, I come at your question yeah. first by reference to the first part of the verse, setting your mind on things of flesh, uh, which is death. He says, mm-hmm. and so like setting one's mind means to like think continually mm-hmm. about sinful things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, flesh is equal to sin in, in this verse. Yeah, it's the, maybe like think about it's the fallen part of who we are. Yeah, like all, all like sinful impulses and desires, mm-hmm. right? And so, mm-hmm. if your mind is set on those things, if it's like power, money, sex, mm-hmm. um, the, the world pleasure, order, the things the world says, things, go for right? it. Yeah, but um, how could you know that can't be true of the believer because the believer has the spirit, but the spirit like dwells in the believer, right? And we know the body, our bodies are temples of God, which mm-hmm. means that, again, evidenced by the Spirit dwelling in us. God dwells in us. Right? God's so in the temple. If you're setting God your mind us. on the things of the flesh continually, you are desecrating the temple of mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And the Spirit departs from mm. from those, those places. But conversely, I would say, like, if you're setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, it's like you're... Maybe I'm thinking of this because I've been reading about the tabernacle in Exodus. It's like you're you're creating the 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 environment, the, the proper abode for for the spirit to, to dwell. Mm. If, if you will. Not not to say that like we have because I don't want to I don't want to like suggest that we're always afraid that, of suggesting salvation by works. Spirit, but yeah. You're keeping spirit, in step with the spirit. You're, you're keeping, keeping in step with the spirit. With the it's spirit. easy to grieve the spirit. There's a reason I heard somebody say this. If you've been if you've been dove hunting, you know you, this will register with you. But uh, there's a reason that the Holy Spirit is is uh, represented as he could have been represented as a pigeon. He's not pigeon. You try to you know like in New York you, try, you can't get rid of them. They're like they're like rats with wings, right? He's not. He's a dove. He's sensitive, he, sensitive. dude. Dove dove will easily they will easily be spooked and off they go and you better get your gun out fast if you're shooting them but um but the holy spirit is easily grieved because god is god is you know i mean it's it's the messianic psalm but psalm psalm chapter two it says that uh his wrath is quickly kindled talking about the son but god is father son and spirit he's 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 one god and so god is easily the holy spirit is easily and quickly grieved of our sin but he will never he will never we'll get to this paul talks about he will never leave the believer but he's easily grieved and we can, we can do things that put walls up between us and our relationship with the Lord. Just like, again, you, I think I just said this last week, but if you have a marriage and your covenant, and your part, your covenant partner takes their covenant seriously till death do his part, but man, you can still, they're not going to leave you. They're not going to leave you no matter what. But, and, and Christ is that to the perfect degree. But, but in, in your marriage, you can do things that put walls up between your, and you have to do repair work. And so that's just a, that's just a, you know, an imperfect illustration of, of what I'm trying to say. Um, so to think deeply on the gospel will change us. Um, and I think Jordan said a few things to this when he was talking about meditating. But Psalm 1 came to mind, to think deeply on the gospel. You know, what's, so Psalm 1 is the portal into the only songbook of God's people that's right in the middle. It's, it's, it's God's very breath, and it's the songbook and the prayer book that we're given right in the middle of the Old Testament. And... Um, it's the doorway in. So it's a really important, Psalm 1 and 2 are the door, 
they're, they're meant to be read together in their doorway into praising God, having a relationship with Him. And Psalm 1, what's the picture Psalm 1 gives to us? Tree planted by. You know, so the, the, the blessed man doesn't do these things. You don't keep company with, with the wicked. You don't enjoy that. It doesn't mean you don't evangelize. That's not what he's talking about. You don't enjoy that company. You don't, you don't feast on You don't meditate on it day and night. What you're doing, rather, is you're meditating on the, the blessed man doesn't keep coming to the wicked. Rather, he meditates on God's word day and night. And so what that's saying is when you put that in a parallel, it's saying he doesn't spend time with the wicked. He doesn't enjoy the evil and wicked people. Rather, he spends time with the Lord. That's what we expect. But what it says is he meditates on God's word day and night. So what that's telling us is the way to spend time with the Lord is to meditate on God's word day and night. You can't grow in the Lord unless you do that. And what you, when you do that, you do that by faith with your eyes fixed on Jesus, letting the word take you to Christ. This is how we have a relationship with Jesus. And so all that to say, what Jordan said is absolutely right. The major image of, there's kind of two, but the overwhelming major image that, that grows into and takes over the psalm is this flourishing tree. It has its roots down in the water of God, in his word. And it's, it's so anchored in the character of God by meditating on his word day and night through faith that um, when, the sto- when the drought comes, what happens to the tree? It endures. It endures, it endures because its roots are down into, into relationship with God through his word, through Jesus Christ. You know, through meditating on his word day and night, it takes us to Christ. And so even when drought comes, it flourishes. And whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked, and then the, the minor image that's, a, that's a antithetical, that's a contrast is the wicked aren't like that. What are they? Yeah, they're like chaff. Chaff's the opposite of a rooted tree that endures the storm and endures the drought. It's like whew, the slightest gust and off it goes. So it won't, and then it finishes with, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Uh, but, but, but the righteous will. In other words, both will endure judgment. Everyone will go before the judge, but only the righteous who are righteous, clothed with the righteousness of Christ through faith. And they've grown substantial and rooted and real because of their They've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But, but sin hollows us out. And so anyway, I just think that image of thinking deeply on the gospel is that that tree is just the, 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 uh, the blessed man is constantly meditating on God's word day and night and growing, um, rooting, rooting in him and growing more and more real, as it were, more and more substantial, having more and more glory or kavod or weight. Kavod is the, the Hebrew word for, for glory. Um. Let me, let, me, let me say this, too, a few more things, and then f- feel free to jump in with anything that I say that might spur a comment. To keep in step with the Spirit, um, eyes trained on God in Christ. That's another thing that I think of when I, when I'm think, of, when I think about this verse, um, 8.5, a little bit more. Just that um, to, to keep in step with the Spirit. To, and I think the, one of the ways that I can think about doing that is looking at Jesus, who said, in his ministry, he said, I only, I only do what I, what I see the Father doing, right? He was filled with the Spirit, the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God, connected perfectly to his Father in this imperfect earth where he was a man of sorrows, but he was constantly communicating with his Father, listening, speaking with him, abiding in his love. And he said, I don't talk unless I hear the Father saying and then I say it. I don't do unless I see the Father doing it and then I do it. Total dependency. And he was showing us that that's the perfect life. That's we think, as Americans, the perfect life is independence. So he said, the perfect life is dependence. It was when Adam and Eve tried to go independent that everything got messed up, right? Mm-hmm. So perfect, we have to be connected like the, like the branch to the, to the trunk. Um, and so 
just that utter dependence and Jesus is, he's constantly, and that's really connects to that, I think that image of, of the blessed, the blessed man in Psalm 1, where he's, um, he's meditating day, day and night on God's word. And, and that word, we talked about this as we were leaving last week, that word meditate in Psalm 1 is the word for, it's used of animals growling, like a low, a low growl, not a roar, but a low growl. Um, and so what that it doesn't mean that, med- that the righteous man growls. What it means is that he's constantly, basically, ancients didn't read silently. They essentially always read out loud. So you're constantly, what you're doing is you're conversing, you're in constant converse with God. He's your main relationship. And you're, the, lang- the grammar of that relationship is the word of God, which, of course, takes us to Jesus, right? So um, through his word, by his spirit, listening for his voice, by, by his word and spirit, saying what he's saying, doing what he's doing as we keep our eyes trained on him in Christ. Um, so, I think of Brother Lawrence practicing the presence, you know, who we talked about this at Parish maybe last week, but has anyone read, um, is, it, is it practicing the presence of, of Brother Lawrence? Anyone ever heard, ever heard of that? Practicing, practicing the, presence? the presence of God. Of God? Yeah. And he was a French... Um, he was, I just, this is marginalia, so I just, I just wrote this in, but, yeah, he was a monk, he was a French uh, monk, and he was a dishwasher, and he actually, uh, I think you gave me a copy of this book at some point, um, but he, uh, he, he, he basically made a name for himself throughout Europe, he'd have pilgrims come and, and, and visit him, and just to see the secret of his life, but he was just a happy, a happy man in Christ, he was constantly, whatever he was doing, he was just enjoying the Lord, abiding in Christ, you know, um, um, as the fathers loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my, abide in my love. Jesus uh, says in John fifteen nine, right? And so he was just constantly worshiping and enjoying the Lord wherever he was, washing dishes, whatever it was, practicing that presence, abiding in Christ. And I think that's part of what it means. I must add, uh, I love to yeah. do the dishes. Right now, I love, I love to do the dishes. dishes. Yeah. And so rest of time to just, just to enjoy. Enjoy. Yeah, the Lord. Oh, my house. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, Laurence has done. Done some of my dishes. She's a good dishwasher. Yeah, so whatever you're doing, you're worshiping. You know? and, if, and you can't worship if you're sinning. So like everything that's not sin is sacred. That's one of the mantras. That ought to be one of the mantras of the Christian. Everything, all that's not sin is sacred. Um, so everything we do becomes worship. Like Paul says in what is it, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for God's glory. Right? So, so all of life, it's not just singing hymns on a Sunday morning. You know, it's not just studying your Bible. God, Jesus brings us into keeping in step with the Spirit and everything we do, we ought to flee from sin and just seek to be in constant communion with the Lord. We can because of Jesus. Now, we're going to sin. And we have a, an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who, who covers us and defends us and, and has paid for us. So this is something of, we're getting into something of what this life looks like. Um, how do we, okay, verse 6, how do we set the mind on the flesh? Uh, for to set the mind on the flesh, verse 6, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Just give me one example. How do we, how do we set the mind on the flesh? We don't want that. We don't want death. That's bad. How, so let's get into, how, how would, how have you, what's, how would you set the mind on the flesh? Give me an example. Most people do Yeah. Give me one they example. They go after, they are driven to be successful yeah. because that gives them power okay. and prestige. Yeah. Then they have to accumulate things, which shows... And what is that all about? That's all about... The flesh. Me. Yeah, it's right? all about the creation. Yeah. 
it, and, it, and everything you just said, it's basically a repeat of what, and, and they are both exactly right. You're saying the same thing because it's true. Money, power, fame, whatever, self aggregate it's all about self. The self, I think that's one of the key marks of the sinful, fleshly, depraved, fallen man. And we're all born into that. It's, you, you, you know, you just look at a kid. Kids are sweet, but really when they're sleeping, no, they are sweet. But, but really they're selfish little creatures. You don't have to tell because they're fallen until they're redeemed, until they trust in Jesus and they're redeemed and they're born the second time. The first time they're born, they're, we're born self-centered. And so we're taking everything into ourselves. It's all about me, the world. If my, if my mom said one thing more than anything else, it was the world does not revolve around you. Why did she say that so much to me? Because I acted like the world revolved around me. And so kids, you do not have to teach them the word mine. I never taught my kids the word mine or, you know, anything like that. I never taught them to her. Um, but you have to teach them thank you and yes. You don't teach them no or mine. I, I remember, um, I may have shared this, but I remember about a month ago, I think it was right before Christmas, I watched, somehow I just came across this, uh, it was on YouTube or something, and my wife and I were, it was a five-second clip, and it was, a, it was like a, a, an older girl, she must have been four, and her younger brother um, was two or something. And she, I, I might be getting it mixed up, but there's a little little roller toy. And she was on it, and uh, or the, boy, the kid was on it, and the girl was trying to get on the back of it real sweetly, and he goes, <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody taught him how to do that, but get off! And she, was real, she wasn't trying to get on or anything, but just trying to sit on it with him, and he just threw a fit. And then she got off and immediately tripped, and that's, why I think, why they did the video, because he immediately tripped and hit her face, and he, he went from, <laughs> to, <laughs> I mean, instantly. Nobody taught him, but that's a perfect picture of the flesh. Right? It's a perfect picture of the flesh. Like, and, the, and the Germans have a word for that. It's called, it's called a schadenfreude. Right? It's, it's, it's glee over others' misfortune. Um, and so that's exactly... Nobody taught that, that kid that word. He, he, but that's exactly what he was doing. Um, I th- yeah, Three Stooges. I think about... Has anyone ever heard the comedian Brian Regan? Yeah, I, mean, I know. Yeah, okay. And he's... There's a great clip uh, on the me monster. Right. And so he's just basically I won't I won't do it here, but he's basically just talking about how there's somebody at a party that like steals all the thunder. And he's always he's the bride at every wedding, you know, and the corpse at every funeral. And uh, I relate too much to that. And uh, he just somebody's telling a story and he jumps in and he takes over the story. And he's like, well, I was on the Autobahn and I was doing business and I was in my BMW. And, I, and so and he starts pounding his chest. And he's like, me, 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 me. And, 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 uh, and it's a really funny sketch. But um, the me monster, that's. I walked on the moon. I walked on. Yeah, so he talks about a guy coming in. He's like the ultimate trump card is like, you, you know, if, you, if you've been on the moon. And so you're just like biding your time, eating your, eating your appetizers, waiting. And you, you get up and like, I walked on the moon <laughs> in my lunar rover. When I was driving my lunar, you can't top that. Um, so it's a, it's a good sketch. I'd highly recommend it. But all that to say, Brian Regan's me monster, you know, the kid, us. Um, the self insists on its own way. The flesh is, I had to look this word up. I always get them confused. I get, I get them flipped. Centripetal. The flesh is centripetal. That means it pulls everything in. It pulls everything into itself, into its vortex. It's like a cyclone. It's like a black hole. Um, the life of the spirit is centrifugal. Right? I never know how to pronounce that. I'm glad he did it for me. The life of the spirit is centrifugal. What does that mean? It pushes out. It pushes it pushes out. 
Um, and so why is the life of the Spirit, why is the Spirit of God, and why is the Spirit in us, create in us, not a, a centripetal, we're sucking everything in, it's all about me, but rather a cent- centrifugal. Okay, why? Number one, you will take no other God before me. Two, you will love your neighbor as yourself. So it's all about going out. It's all about yeah. taking it out and, and being it. And the two are related, not only because man's made in God's image, but also because, like you said, love is by its nature centrifugal. Now, let's think about God. What is God? God's one. But he's Trinity. He's Trinity, right? Yeah, he's... Father, Son, and Spirit. And so at the, there's, a, there's a time in which God was not creator. Before creation, he was not creator. But there's never been a time in which God was not a father. Yeah. Loving, loving his son, looking out. One God, but looking outward. Because love, love by his death, by very definition, moves outward. Mm-hmm. It looks outward to the other. And so though God is one, he's three in person. And the father has always been loving. He's never not been loving his son perfectly. And, this, and the son has never not been um, receiving fully that love, living in that love, and giving it back to his Father. And the Spirit is, as it were, the overflow of that love. So, so love is by its very nature because the Trinity, the Trinity is love. And the Trinity, the, the most fundamental thing about the universe is the triune God who is centrifugal. And so love your neighbors yourself. Of course, when we love others, it's going out to them rather than sucking them into our agenda, right? And so... Um, I think that's, that's something of what, um, yeah, of what uh, the, the spirit of when Christ lays his life down for us and we trust in him and he takes it up again and we trust in him as Lord and Savior and he comes to live inside of us by his spirit, that increasingly, not perfectly, by fits and starts, but increasingly that, be, that begins to characterize us more and more our lives. And that is the life of the spirit, right? And so putting to death the deeds of the body means putting to death that meat monster. And we actually have the power to be able to do that now. We're not enthralled to sin anymore. The sin has, doesn't have that power over us. We still sin, but it doesn't identify us anymore. A good prayer to pray is to, to ask the Father daily to show you the ways you are living in a, 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 a way of self-fulfillment instead of centrifugal because we all do but we, so many times we're blinded to how we're living that way because we're still and the Lord will show us he'll show us like a velvet hammer but he'll I mean, show you if you ask him he will it's, he's he, so kind and he's so forceful all at the same time right remember the verse and there's no, no, there's no, condemnation. no condemnation yeah if you, you know that if, if you know your sins don't identify you and you can handle it because if you know your sins don't identify you now there is no condemnation for you Jesus identifies you you can't escape his love you're his child that can never he can he'll never unson or undaughter you so therefore you can be honest about and you know that the one who is showing you these things loves you and, and he's making you more real, and he's never going to leave you, and it doesn't identify you, and so you can open up. But if you think it identifies you, you're going to be scared to have anyone say anything about you, to show anything, right? I mean, you're going to be a fragile person. Uh, one of the, the, the most resilient people, the, most, the least fragile people are true Christians. Because we, know, because we know how we don't deserve the love of God, but we've been given it fully. Right? And it starts to change us. Recognize when we messed up. Mm-hmm. Send 
right away go and ask for a heat test. And it does get better. Yeah, being quick to be convicted of sin, you know, being, being quick to, to be, to say sorry. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a mark of a, a mature believer. Um, verse 7, the life of the flesh is hostile to God. The life of the Spirit is a friend of God, God dwelling um, in that person. No matter how many good deeds you do or how good your deed is, if you're in the flesh, Paul's telling us, you can't please God. Cadavers walking around looking like living, breathing human beings can never be pleasing to someone who sees what they really are, right? If you truly love that person, you see, oh, you're a walking dead person. You're a cadaver. Um, no, God can't be pleased by, no matter how many good works that person, good works that person is doing, no matter what they look like, he can't be pleased with someone who's a walking cadaver because he loves us and he made us to live. And he knows that's going to take us to hell. It's going to take us down in the grave. Um, those in the flesh are non-posse. I'm gonna, how many times am I going to write this on the board before we, you know? Uh, non-posse, non-picare. Yeah, yeah non-posse, non-picare. You kind of said it in Italian, which is because it's close to, <laughs> it's close to the, the... We don't know the, how they said it. Yeah. Okay, not able not to sin. That's the fallen person. That's the person of the flesh. You're non-posse, non-picare. St. Augustine. Yeah, not able, non posse, not possible. Not able, not to sin. Picard, Picadillo, right? Not able, not to sin. Right? Let's talk about That's the fallen person. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for the mind that is set up. Verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Sound like Seinfeld. Is that you're laughing at me? Um, verse 9. I don't know why I skipped 8, but I did. We've got to get through this somehow, right? Um, you are either in the flesh or in the spirit. It is binary. Paul's making that very clear. I kind of commented on that as I was reading. You can't be in both. Okay? From the way Paul's talking about it here. Now, we're going to nuance that some. There is no third way or third condition, just as there is no spiritual neutrality. You're either for God or against him. You're either in the spirit or in the flesh. Now, you can be in the spirit. You can be a new creature in Christ, born again, a son or a daughter of God, and be fleshly. You can do, feed on the flesh, do things. Of course you can. You look like Dr. Kelly. Ooh, fleshly. <laughs> uh, he was my mentor. <laughs> North Carolina boy, he sounded like that. Um, so you're either for God or against him. Ravi Zacharias would say, um, he would say, he's from India, and he was an apologist, and he, uh, he ended badly, but he, he was still a wise man in a lot of ways. And um, he, he said, he would say, he, was ta- he would talk about the both, and, the both and in India versus in the West is either or. And he would say, even in India, when you step into the street, it is either you or the car. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, either or works there too. I don't care what your, what your worldview is. Um, you're either in the flesh or in the spirit. This is very important on the heels of chapter 7. You can, you can be fleshly or a carnal Christian, but you cannot be in the flesh, identified by the flesh, and born again. Okay? Um, the spirit is the mark of the Christian. We're really getting into this here. This is what Paul takes us into. The spirit is the mark of the Christian. This is valuable just because it, sometimes we ask, a lot of times other people ask, what makes a Christian? What, what is a Christian? Paul is very clear here. The spirit is the mark of the Christian. Um, I, I reference here verse 16 in my notes. Spirit of Christ, not the spirit of the world. The spirit, verse 16, look at verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, 
So that, but also John 3 is a great chapter for this. Um, but then also, if you have time later, look at Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37. And in short, what, what the prophet, what the major prophet there says, Ezekiel is a funky book. It's a beautiful book. Crazy. What he says in chapter 36 is, essentially, it's, it's one of the few places in the Old Testament where the, the, uh, the new covenant is mentioned. I'm, gonna, I'm going to, uh, the old covenant was written on, yeah, the old covenant was written on stone. I'm going to write the new covenant on, on your heart. So you'll have the law within you. Again, that's, that's really speaking, actually, to a lot of what Paul's been saying here, is that we're able, who's God, because of the law, Jesus has written the law on our, on our hearts by doing what we couldn't do. Uh, by taking its curse, by keeping it for us, by giving us his own righteousness, by imputing it to us through faith, and then by coming to live inside of us and giving us his own heart as his own disposition. And so Ezekiel 36, he says, I'm going to do something new and I'm going to write the law on your, I'm going to give you a, uh, I'm going to take your heart of stone. I'm going to completely give you a new, um, what's the computer de- uh, term? It's, I'm going to give you a new, uh, not hard drive, system. operating system, OS. OS. I'm going to give you a new OS. I'm going to give you a new operating system, right? I'm going to give you a heart transplant, something we can't do to ourselves. Uh, through faith in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, I'm going to give you a heart. I'm going to give you, take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then chapter 37, the next chapter after that, what is the vision that God gives to Ezekiel? He sees a valley, and what's in the valley? Dry bones. Dry bones. It's all these bones. And what is this question that the Spirit of God asks Ezekiel? He says, Ezekiel, can these bones Live. Live. Can these bones live? And he says, I think he says what John says in Revelation, which is a wise answer to God. You know. Lord, you know. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. But this is a picture of the new birth. When every time someone is born again, it's bone, it's dead bones. It's cadaverous, graveyard, dead bones that cannot make themselves live. But he makes, he, he puts them together. He puts sinew on them and skin and a beating heart and up they go and a new creation they become. Okay? Um, this is actually what is happening in the spiritual realm. And hey, I'm going to just preach. This is the re- the, where the rest of the verses go. And Paul says, yeah, the body has to follow. So what we get when the minute we trust in Christ is we get a new spirit that will never die. Do you see? And this is the deposit. The new spirit in us is the very spirit of the living God who's making us more and more like Jesus. Our bodies will follow. Our old, we, we retain our old bodies. They will die. But not forever. Because we have the Spirit of God in us, that Spirit of God, when Christ returns, will reconstitute our bodies and give us a, a, a body that is con- contiguous. It's, it's, it's um, connected to our old bodies. There's, there's continuity, but they will be renewed, impervious to, to death, to aging, to being hurt, um, able to do things physically in the physics realm that we, that we couldn't do. Like Jesus, walking through walls, teleporting, right? I mean, he just vanished from their sight, and then he, they run back to, from Emmaus to Jerusalem, and there he comes through the wall. And so, but he's still what? He's still eating fish, broiled fish and, and bread, he, or honeycomb, or whatever he, he was eating. And he, uh, and he still has the holes. It's the same Jesus that was crucified. He's, he's not a ghost. But he's, but he's got a new, and throughout these resurrection appearances, they're always like, I know it's Jesus, but there's something different about him, right? So that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. You can't have the spirit of God in you and be born again and not receive a resurrected body one day. You will. You will.
And by the way, just for the record, and I, I don't think I talk about this in these notes, this is how, here's how it happens. And this isn't in this, in this chapter, but when we die with the Spirit of God in us, our spirits will, will go to be, we will go to be, our spirits will go to be, our bodies will be in the ground unless Christ returns. We will, our spirits will go to be with the Lord in heaven. But we're not going to stay in heaven. And I think I do talk about this part in my notes somewhere, but where, what's, our, what's our final destination? It's earth. Heaven, yeah. First time Jesus left earth. The second time he comes, he brings heaven down with him to stay. Bodily, he comes as the glorified Savior, king over all, not in weakness, but in power. And he, at that point, he, the resurrection of the dead happens. And he will bring heaven down. We will all, the, the, some to everlasting punishment, everyone will receive a resurrected body. Every single person that's ever existed. And some to everlasting, uh, to the new creation. Everlasting bliss with our Savior. So, so the, the order being, uh, we get spirits, which will last forever. When, when we believe on Christ, we get his spirit come to live in his we'll, Our spirits will never die. Our bodies go into the ground. Our spirits go to be with Jesus in heaven. But when he comes, when he comes again, he brings heaven down and, and, we, and, and he brings us with him. And then our bodies will rise and we'll be, our spirits will be reunited to a, a new body like he has. So, is our new so we're not going to go bodily to heaven. Because our old bodies are in the ground and decaying. Yeah, he made it. He made you out of. So he's just going to recreate nothing, so. a body for us, basically. Yeah, from yeah, like whether you're in the sea, or you're buried in the ground, or an animals. I mean, I think it, in animals have eaten and pooped out probably most of humanity. God can do it. He can. He can take the molecules back. You know, he made all things from nothing. It's not going to be a problem for him. But when you see heaven and earth. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but right, right, yeah. Everyone in heaven right now is just a spirit. Yes, they don't. They they do not have their bodies, and that's one of the neat thing. And we won't talk about it any more here because this isn't the text. But um, one of the neat things is that it won't happen. It'll all happen together. Every those that are in heaven now are waiting for us. We will all receive a resurrected body together, and it'll be a joyous thing that we all do at once. It'll be wonderful. Um, and Christ is the first fruits of that bumper crop that's coming. That's our guarantee. And as is the spirit in us. It's a guarantee that we're going to get resurrected bodies. It's interesting. I was with a group of Catholics uh, Saturday, and we, I don't know, the subject started to be with death. Boy, did they, were they freaking Were they fr- afraid? Subject. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no assurance there. It's, it's the works-based. It's like you have to meet God halfway, and have I ever done enough good stuff? I don't know. Whereas Christ is our assurance. Amen. Right? His so, payment for us, his life for us. It was very interesting to see the... Let's not talk about it. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Mm. <laughs> That's good. Okay, let me... I'm going to hit hyperdrive because I want to get through this shameful if I... And we will. Because you did promise. I did promise. Okay, we're getting through this. We are. We've got to start in verse 18 next week. Okay, look. So hyperdrive. The Spirit is the mark of the Christian. If the Spirit dwells in you, you are God's child. Now hang with me here. This is a seatbelt time. Okay, if the spirit dwells in you, you're God's child, bought and paid for by his son. If not, you're not. Again, this is all an exposition of what Paul's saying. It does not matter how much you know. Stay with me. It does not matter how much you know, how perfect your theology, how good your works, how sincere your repentance, how many times you've walked the aisle or prayed the prayer or been baptized. By the way, you can do all of that insincerely. That's what I'm saying. Okay? If you truly say Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. We're given that. But I'm saying... You can do all these things. It doesn't matter. 
who your parents are, how holy, how much they love Jesus, what church you grew up in or a member of. If the Spirit doesn't, now all that is contingent upon what I'm saying here. If the Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you are not his child. Paul's very clear. The Spirit is the mark. Fruit is the mark. Why do I say fruit is the mark? Because what did Jesus say? You will know them by, your... know them by the fruit. So which one? That's my question to you. Which one? Is the Spirit the mark or is the fruit the mark? The fruit is the evidence of the Spirit. Okay, there it is. So, so does, a, does, a, does, a living tree, does a living fruit tree have sap or fruit? Both. Right. And it has fruit because it has sap, right? So that's it. That's exactly right. The, the Spirit gives rise to the fruit. And that's why they're called the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, it's not fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. All the fruit comes from one, the one Spirit living inside of us. It is evidence of the very, it's the very character of God, as it were, secreting out through the, uh, the, the, the tendrils, the limbs, where the fruit grows, right? It's the Spirit of the living God. It's His character. What is it? Love, joy. What's God like? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Can you imagine there being laws against these things? I mean, what a terrible place that would be. There can't be laws against it. This is God's character. North Korea. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Um, okay, verse 10. The body, of, the body is dead because of sin, Paul says. How do we know this? Okay, how do we know that the body is dead because of sin? From birth, we begin to die. Somebody read, turn their fast Bible drill, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4. A, for me. Ecclesiastes 1 4, just the first part. This is what I did my dissertation on. Spent four years on. Generation goes yep. and a generation comes. Okay, so there it is. So Ecclesiastes one four a, a generation goes and a generation comes. Interesting, how he starts that. What would you expect him to say? How would you expect him? Reverse that order. Generation comes, generation goes. Right, generation comes. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. He says a generation goes. Why does he start with that? Why does he start the cycle that way? Because the trajectory of human life is towards death. Man, we are born walking toward the grave. Yeah. We are born walking toward the grave. Um, we're born dead on arrival, and we're born walking toward the grave. Um, and he's emphasizing this point. Under the sun, death reigns. In this old order, death reigns. But Christ is starting something new. Death reigns over the old age, not just in us, but in all creation. That's what we're getting to next week. So Paul's going to zoom out next week and go, okay, I've been talking about what Christ has done for us. Let's talk about all of what he's done for all of creation and how it's tied to our redemption. Oh, it gets real exciting next week. Uh, It's one of my favorite passages. And actually, I think next week is, and I'll say this, is Paul's exposition. And this is a widely held view. Next week, verses 18 through 25, is, I think, is Paul's exposition, his unpacking, his explanation of Ecclesiastes. And I'll tell you why I think that next week. Um, as he talks about all creation, what? Groaning, subject to futility. All right? Um, I think that's the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but we'll get to that a little bit next week. But all death reigns over not just us, but the entire creation. How do we... Know this? Let's just mention a few things. How do we know that death reigns over all creation? Seasons. Seasons are in the cycle we see that. Things go f- to the winter and the barren, the death and the, and the rebirth. What else? Give some other examples. Do animals die? Yeah. Yes. Nature, red, and tooth and claw. N- nature, red, tooth and claw, right? right? Survival of the fittest and all that. Like, if you go read uh, the Pulitzer Prize winner in 1974, 
by Annie Dillard, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Man, she, nobody makes the point better than she does. Like every, nature is just all about killing, 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 killing. Even on the on the on the micro level, on the, on the cellular level, everything's dying. And even on let's zoom out on the cosmic level. I mean, stars die. But on the math, on the biggest level we can get to in creation, redshift. What's the redshift? Blue blue wavelength of light is compressed. It means things are moving toward you. Redshift is light is the the longer wavelength of light, which means that everything in the universe is moving away from it. it and, and that's what de- death pulls things apart. Mm-hmm. It cools things off. The entire universe, what the redshift means, and every astrophysicist knows this, it's, it's just a fact. The entire universe is moving away from itself, cooling down. It's slowing down toward zero, and it's dying. Now, the Bible tells us this. We know the reason for this. It's because of our sin. It's not always going to be that way. It's not always going to be that way. Um, okay, so Christ has begun a new age. He killed and buried the old age. The body is dead because of sin, but what? The spirit is life because of righteousness. Um, I was going to speak to modalism and mutual indwelling. I'm not going to, so maybe we'll come back to that in some other lesson. Um, the body is dead because of sin, but what? The spirit is life because of righteousness. Your body, the visible part of you, which contrary to materialism is not all there is to you, will die. I just talked about this a bit ago. The invisible part of you, your spirit will live. The minute the spirit comes to live in you, your spirit, which was just as dead as your body uh, is, comes alive and will never die. So you will die the first death, which is what? What's the first death? You will, we will all, unless Christ returns before we die, we will all die the first death. What's that? Natural death. Six feet under. Six feet under, okay? You will die the first death. And, and uh, John talks about this in Revelation 20. You will die the first death, but not the second death. If you have the Spirit of God in you. What's the second death? Eternal damnation. Eternal damnation. To hell, you'll be eternally... It, the Bible talks about the, uh, the damned eternally, those outside of Christ, eternally perishing. You're, it's like, it's like a, an, a, an onion or a ball of yarn that's just, con, it's just continually peeled. There, you're just, there are layers of you taken apart. You're unraveled forever. You're excavated becoming more and more and more wraith-like, but forever. You want to die, but you never will. That'll be, it'll be anguish forever. Um, because our sin, and we're not going to get into it, our sin, it, it, it offends God in his eternality, in his infinity, in every part of who he is. So because he is just, and, and that's a different subject, um, then, then, uh, then the punishment must, be, must fit the crime. And so, and so this, this also makes much of the cross, much, makes much of what Jesus took for the redeemed, right? And that, that offer is on offer for everyone who comes to Jesus. Um, all who do not die the second death, the spirit or soul death, though their bodies die, their bodies will be made alive, just like their spirits forever, which we talked about. This will happen when Christ returns. We will receive new, renewed bodies, just like he did, but with continuity to our old ones, right? But, but perfect. We'll receive new, renewed bodies, just like he did on Sunday morning. Um, okay. Jesus rose bodily. The new age fully at work in him. He buried the old age. He killed it. We will go where he is. Only partially now we have a down payment, his spirit. So Christ's new body. Um, we, uh, so Christ's new body. We, new spirit, then one day new body. Um, on that day, new creation. Okay, so Paul drills this into the next passage, next, which we'll get to next Monday. So in sum, Christ has received a new body. Okay, impervious to sin, death, and hell. We, believers receive his spirit and a new, a new spirit. 
when we trust in him. And thirdly, there will be a new creation, a new everything, a new universe, at which point we will get new bodies like Jesus and be with him bodily in a new, cre- in a new universe forever. We're not going to be floating around spiritually, playing harps on clouds. That's not, no, that's not, gonna, that's not the way it is. That's Gary Larson. That's far side comic. Um, 11 is straightforward and wonderful. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So if you trust in Jesus and his spirit lives in you, you, it's guaranteed that you will, exactly what happened to Jesus will happen to you. How wonderful. Verse 12, we are debtors not to live according to the flesh. Paul doesn't complete his thought, but it's clear enough. Debtors to whom? We're debtors not to live according to the flesh, but what? Who are we debtors to? To Christ. Yeah, we're, we're, we're debtors to the Lord. We've been bought at a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20. He purchased us to live not as we please, but for him. To please him as his children, verses 14 through 16. And therefore his heirs, verse 17. So we don't love our kids so little that we let them live as they please, do we? You know, we would have to hate them to let them live as they please, especially the younger they are. Right? So it's actually loving that God says, I have purchased you, I have redeemed you to live for me. It's a, the most loving thing. We're made for him. We're made for him. Without, without him as our North Star, without him as our, uh, you know, our reason for existence, we, we don't, we're not living the life that we're created to live. Verse 13, if your life is characterized by the flesh, by a life of fleshly pursuits, you will die. But also, you will die the second death, is how I interpret that, right? We're all going to die, but you'll die the second death. Um, okay, but, so look at verse 13. Let me just read it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Talk, Jordan, any, any feedback? Anybody, anybody at all, any feedback on that verse? I just, I don't know. Um, it's a really good, really powerful verse. I know it meant a lot to John Owen. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, who I para- actually... Who paraphrased it as saying, be killing sin or it'll be killing It's you. right here in my notes. It's exactly um, right. I think, now I'm, on t- I'm tenuous here, but I think some of what this verse can mean, possibly, is you can be a believer in the Spirit, you can be in the Spirit, be a believer, be a new creation in Christ, but walk according to the flesh, and sin will kill you, okay? It's not going to take you down to hell, but you can be, we know that you can be, and now whether or not this verse means this, I don't know, but we know that you can be in the Spirit and walk according to the flesh, <coughs> and sin's going to affect you negatively. It's going to... Uh, it's going. It's going like, to hurt if you. If I drank myself to death. Yeah, you would I mean, still go to be with the Lord. Assuming I was, you still be a new creation, but it's going to hurt you. Right. And it's going to put up walls between you and the Lord. Now you're still going to be His child. Sin has its consequences, even for the born again believer, the new creation in Christ. We must mortify sin, as John Owen famously said. We must be killing sin, or it will be killing us. We, so, so being a new creation in Christ doesn't make you impervious to sin. In fact, it should make you more sensitive to sin. Right? Hate it more. Otherwise, we, there wouldn't be the imperative almost in that right, half. Right, right. It'd be pointless. If by the Spirit you put to death yeah. the deeds of the body. We're able to do that now. We're able to do that. Mortified. So, obviously, there has to be a fight. There has to be a fight. Now, I think that's one of the indicators we talked about a few weeks ago in chapter 7. Paul's constantly saying, I, I do what I don't want to do. I don't want to do what I do. And we all, actually, to my surprise, when we were upstairs, said, hey, I think this is Paul talking as a believer. I think that's one of the indicators that it's Paul the believer saying, because the unbeliever doesn't fight against sin. The unbeliever doesn't, that's, that's Paul as a believer, fighting against sin. 
Yeah. Can I ask a question about this? Sure. Um, I don't know that I'll have an answer. Related to that verse or that section, and then try to jump ahead to 16. Yeah. I'm sorry, 15. Um, so 7, chapter 7 ends, almost the penultimate verse, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And uh, a certain commentator who I want to quote a lot, um, you know, he doesn't say... So what's interesting is that question, unless it's rhetorical... Right. 24, 724? 724. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That could be a rhetorical question. Um, but, uh, but if it isn't, if it's a, if it's a genuine question, yeah. then, then you wonder, how could a believer yeah. ask that question? Now, in verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? But, but he leaves it open. Yeah. But then in verse 15 of chapter 8, right, um, you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, and I'm sure you will talk about what that means, but um, you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So how could the same person in the same state, on the one hand, yeah. exclaim, who will deliver me from this body of death, wretched man that I am, but yet also cry, Abba, Father? Yeah, it's, I think that's, those are great questions, and I'm certainly not going to be able to give the answer in a few minutes, but partly because it's a, it's, there's a reason that chapter 7 is contested. It's hard. Chapter 8 is glorious. I think part of the answer is, one, I, I, I do lean toward 24, 724 being um, rhetorical. Um, wretched man that I am, uh, who would live me, and um, like he's, well, wretched man that I am, who would live me from this body of death, he's, he's, he's leading us toward He's giving us an entree into verse 25, right? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Um, now, he's just, when he says wretched man that I am, he is describing what comes before his own condition, I believe, as a believer. Um, he's like an individual under the conviction of sin. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, he's taking us somewhere. He's showing us the conflict, presumably, that a believer can have, the wrestling match, but then he's delivering us into the glory of life in the Spirit, um, what Christ has done for us, what it means for the universe, um, do you think that that the is, renewal of all things? Do you think that, that line, regimen that I am, who was over from this body of death, reflects what Paul's saying in verse 15 about, says, you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Mm. And the King James says, you do not receive the spirit of slavery uh, again to fall back into fear. Mm. I think that's in, in I wish I had the, in Greek, the James. The Greek text but, with me. But, you know, and the notice that the lowercase spirit mm-hmm. of slavery and then spirit capital of adoption sons. Right. Which suggests that that spirit of slavery is not the Holy Spirit. Oh, no. Certainly not. Certainly not. Right. Yeah, and I think the again really doesn't add too much in that it doesn't make a decisive but difference this, in but that. But the spirit, the Holy Spirit capital S, yes. does convict one of sin. Certainly. And when you're convicted of sin, you do feel fear. In a sense. Well, but because I think the, I think this is a craven fear, the spirit of slavery that it seems like that Paul's talking yeah, about I, the first part of verse 15. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what. Not a, not a godly fear. Because a godly fear does lead to life. Yeah. Okay, um, no, no, not at all. I mean, that's part of our text. So, um, yeah, we haven't, we haven't received the spirit of fear, to fall, of, of slavery rather, to fall back into fear, but rather of emancipation, of the spirit of adoption, which makes us children of God, which shows that we're his children and makes us his children through the work of Christ, right, by which we 
use the language of Jesus, Abba, Father. So, no, that's, those are good questions. Um, yeah, again, back to seven, tough, tough chapter, especially toward the end there. Um, but, but racing toward the end here, um, we just have a few minutes. Um, we must put to death the deeds of the body. Christ has killed them. Christ has killed them, right? He's killed them in his own flesh. He, put, he condemned the old order. He buried it. He killed it and he buried it. Because he has killed it, we can. We can kill sin because he's killed sin and he's in us. We must. John Murray um, says, as new creatures in Christ, it is necessary and possible that we do so, that we kill sin. It wasn't possible as, as, as uh, fleshly creatures. But now in the spirit, we're able to. And every hour we must. This putting to death the deeds of the body should characterize the Christian life. Now, what does this look like? Um, it's through saying no to things, but it's also through saying yes to things on a maybe an even more fundamental level. I think on a, you know, the, it reminds me of saying that reminds me of a, a, a sermon title which I've mentioned before, but um, an old 19th century Scottish preacher, Thomas, Thomas Chalmers, this title of one of his sermons, "The Expulsive Power of a New Affection." You know, the the, the ultimate way to to fight sin is to is to feed. It's not to starve yourself. It's to feed on the one that we were made for. It's to feed on Christ Himself. It's, it's to be full of Christ, be full of his spirit. It's to, be, it's to be entranced with and taken by his beauty by meditating on the gospel and allowing that, the more, the, allowing that penny to drop the more that we meditate on who God is in Christ, what he has done for us, how he's laid his life down for us and taken it up again, how much he loves us um, and how we're going to spend eternity with him. And it, start, it, doesn't, it doesn't start one day. It starts the minute he comes into our hearts. Uh, and we grow in that, in that relationship. Um, so... I think that, you know, underneath the deep no, there's a deeper yes. Um, and it's the yes, it's the yes and amen of Christ. And it's the yes of relationship with him. that's freely given through faith. Um, but the spiritual disciplines is one of the things this, this Paul's language here is leading us into. Um, I actually brought this book just to show you. And I, and I wrote down a few things that I'll just have to fly through and then we have to close. But I might go close the door. Speaking of close. Spiritual disciplines for the Christian life by Donald Whitney. I'm, I'm walking, I'm just starting to walk through with my son, Seth. He's 13. Uh, really good book for adults or for young adults. Um, we'll probably walk through it as as a class with our with our Sojourn Galleria youth. The, yeah, other. spiritual disciplines for the Christian life by Donald Whitney. He's a professor of um, the of Christian life at a um, Reformed Baptist Seminary called Southern in Kentucky. So I think she stopped. Um, really good book. So let me just mention a few things. So I'll just read. I'll just read the table of contents. Table of contents in this, in this spiritual disciplines book by Don Whitney. Um, Bible intake for the purpose of godliness, parts one and two. Prayer for the purpose of godliness. And he talks very clearly at the front about how these don't, things don't make you a Christian. Faith in Christ, his work, his life, uh, his death, his resurrection, trust in him. He brings us into relationship with God. But then this is Romans chapter eight stuff. This is, Okay, now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. How do we then walk? We walk full of the Spirit. We walk embracing Him, fighting sin. Uh, the, these are the yeses. So many of these are the yeses of, uh, of, of fighting sin. Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting. Which we're entering into a month of that together. Silence and solitude. That's a discipline that is very neglected, just like fasting. Journaling, learning. Persevering, and then he talks about persevering in the disciplines. And there are others, but those are some. Um, 
There's a good book as well. There are so many good books. Um, Richard Foster has a classic. Um, but then there's a more recent one by John Mark Comer called The um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where he talks not just about slowing down, silence, solitude, but he talks about some of the other disciplines as well. Really, really helpful. Oh, practicing the way. Cool. So he's kind of become a guru and a practitioner of of a lot of a lot of the spiritual disciplines. He's living it out, and he kind of he waved bye bye purposefully to a huge pastor of a huge church up in the northwest, and is really just focusing on following following Jesus in the everyday. And so he's 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 a good guy. Um, but saying no to lust, greed. Down. Saying no to, to lust, greed, envy, pride, hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger. There are cold sins, pride, envy, bitterness are, are some of them. But there are hot sins, lust, and anger. Um, practically refusing the second glance or fixating. Porn. So not, not, not looking at porn. Scoring points in an argument. So refusing these things. Scoring points in an argument at someone's expense. That's easy to do. I do that all the time. Taking the best piece of chicken at Parish. <laughs> it's a small sin, but it's a sin. I'm not saying it's a sin to take the best piece, but if, if, you're, if you take it and you know the person behind you is not going to get it. Treating a wealthy person or even someone you enjoy better than a poor person or someone who annoys you. Do it all the time. Slipping the thing into conversation that makes you look good. Name dropping. Just a few, just a few, thin, a few sins that easily came to mind. Saying yes, though, yes to service, kindness, forgiveness, giving, spending time with God and his word and prayer and in fellowship with the saints, making peace, choosing hope, trusting God, enjoying him, blessing others and not cursing. Practically praying for others, clearing people's plates, cooking for people, forgiving someone, letting an offense go. Um, we haven't even mentioned, I haven't mentioned in these two minutes things that we ought to do but haven't done. Those are called sins of omission. So there are lots and lots and lots of things. Um, we have to close down now to respect y'all's time, but I, I, don't, I only have a little bit left, so I'll just race. But there is hope in the Lord. There's hope, there's hope in the Lord, that's right. No, absolutely. And we can, we can fight because we are children of God. There's something so much on all of us right now. I can hear myself in my head. Roll one note in the day, and you know, you can't make yourself live. The Lord is the one who gives us life. He's the one who makes us his children through life in Christ. We're united to him. And when we have his spirit, it's a, we are his. Amen. So we get to fight. And we're never going to fight perfectly, but we're able to do these things. This is a life, of, it's a life of faith. All this is by faith. All this is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and abiding in him and being filled with the spirit. And we're going to slip and fall. We're going to sin every day. In fact, John, we say this every week, right? John says, you know how you know you're not a Christian is if... Uh, you say you have no sin. So knowing that you have sin and hating it more and more is actually a sign that you're growing in Christ. People that are lost, don't, they don't fight. They don't, they're not offended by their sin. You know, that's a sign. That's a good sign. If you, whoa, I'm, my sin is, man, flee to Christ. And plus there is an enemy who is trying to destroy us yeah. at every corner. Yeah. So something that we, need, we cannot forget about that. That's right. That's right. Somebody's trying to make us fall. It might not be your flesh. It might be the devil. Exactly. And the devil and the flesh work together. Amen. Right? And there's the world, and then there's the Lord. Yeah. So there are different, different voices. And how, have, do we, how do we know the voice of God? It's through his word. always said, kind of woven into a lot of his talks, but he said, we have to remember that we are more sinful 
than we we can ever imagine. Mm -hmm. But we are also more loved That's right. than we can ever imagine. And so That's we right. have to balance those two things. That's right. So let me just go ahead and read. I just have a few, uh, literally two notes on 15 and 17, but let me just read those verses and then maybe make a comment and then close. Um, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, verse 14, are sons of God. For if you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, so, excuse me, but you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And what are, you know, we're not, we don't live lives of craving fear because what, what is a, a child who's truly loved who's secure in his parents' love, that's the one who bursts into the study when they're, everybody, when the adults are having a meeting and they run in and they jump in the dad's lap and they ask for stuff all the time. Can I have a popsicle? Can I have, you know, that's a confident, well, uh, secure, secure, securely attached child, right? It, it is bold. And so that's how we cry, Abba, Father. We've been given the language, the very, the very thing that Jesus calls his own father. We, we now have that status because that's how, we have life in Christ. We have the very status of Christ. We have his righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness. And it's being worked out in you through faith. Um, so that's our, and then so verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs to everything, I'm, this is my words, heirs to everything that Christ is heir to. Heirs of God and fellow heirs, there it is, fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Two things on that in the last. Suffering is the mark of the Christian. If you're a Christian, you will suffer because you are a Christian. Not just like I stubbed my toe, but you will actually, or I got cancer, which both of those things are suffering. But those are suffering because you're in the world. You will actually suffer for being a Christian. That's a, one of the marks of a Christian. And, and also, what is an actual Christian? The person united to Christ, as I just said. This uh, this is the second and more fundamental truth that I think Paul's getting at here. Why will the Christian suffer? Because Christ suffered. And if you are united to him through faith by his spirit, you will suffer because Christ is in you. He was a man of sorrows whom the world hated and hates and crucified. And you think that your life in Christ will be roses? But he rose. And this, this leads us to, to next week, verses 18 through 25. Um, so as I close, just a story. Imagine you're serving a life sentence for something. Horrible thought. Someone pays, you're serving a life sentence. Someone steps in and pays your sentence in full by taking your place and pays a, a huge sum of money. You're free. Now, you've just been released from a life sentence. Someone else has stepped in and paid for you. Are you free to live as you please? Mm -mm. No, of course not. Um, you don't want to, though, either. You don't just want to go live as you please for at least two reasons. You're grateful. You're free. Remember, you're free. You're grateful, but you're also smart. A life of indulging your pleasures, law-breaking, will put you back in the clink. You're free. Live like the free man or woman that you are. Live in light of the price that's been paid for you, to free you. Live a life of gratitude, freedom, and joy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you, Jesus, for your great, great, great love for us, for being the perfect articulation of the Father for being an outgoing God who passed through the heavens in the fullness of time to rescue us at infinite cost to yourself. We thank you so much that we can know. I take it for granted every day. We can know exactly what makes you tick, exactly what you're like, exactly why you made us and how you've redeemed us and, how, and, and the lengths that you've gone to to do that and to make us your children so that we can cry, Abba, Father. 
Uh, help us not to help us to be grateful for that. Help us to grow in that. Help us to meditate on that day and night. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit and help us to share. I pray that it would be something that we couldn't that we would work at sharing, but that it would also be something that bubbles up from us. The more the farther down it goes, the more it will bubble up from us and come out of our the way that we treat others, the way that we are outgoing and move toward other people, especially people that snub us and hate us or we think that they do. Often they don't. We're just so insecure. And through our words, that we would, you would help us to work at articulating the gospel and actually proclaiming the good news of what you've done for us, Lord. And for the, and for the worst of sinners, Lord, for all of us. Um, as many as you'll call to yourself. So make us an outgoing people. Uh, we love you. We bless you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Until next week. Amen.